Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Wednesday in Sound of Play we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Yes. Uh, welcome. Hello. My name's Leon and uh, I'll be your host for this All Request Sound of Play special. This is our 53rd Sound of Play and we opened there with the mighty Yuzo Koshiro and uh, Motohiro Kawashima. From, of course, Streets of Rage 2, or to give it its original title, its hipster title, Bare Knuckle to The Requiem of the Deadly Battle. 
that's the straight translation. I don't I don't know the Japanese. Anyway, that was requested by Follow My Ruin, who says, Born in the mid-80s, I played only NES until long into the launch of the 16-bit generation, and I definitely had no concept of musical quality or what a sound channel was until my best friend was given a Mega Drive one Christmas. I distinctly recall having my mind blown wide open by Dreamer, in Streets of Rage 2, which, among the other awesome tracks, still impresses. I get pumped hearing the crunch of knuckle-to-face set against the melody. Yuzo Koshiro gets a pat on the back. Indeed he does, and we always talk about Yuzo Koshiro. Um, But it is true that Motohiro Kawashima also gets a credit on Streets of Rage 2. I must admit, I I think even when we covered the Streets of Rage trilogy, or the Bare Knuckle trilogy, uh, back in Kane and Rince podcast uh, 70, uh, I think, did we mention Motohiro Kawashima? I'm not sure. I haven't listened to that podcast for a long time. We did it some years ago now. Uh, But I thoroughly enjoyed recording it. I remember that much. Um, we delved into the series. Uh, we probably spent most time on the middle instalment, Streets of Rage 2. I think it was our favourite and it remains my favourite progressive brawler in the history of the genre. Um, although we, uh, Jay and I of this podcast, editing editing this podcast and uh, behind the scenes art and technical whiz uh, without who Kane and Rince and Sound of Play would simply not happen. Uh, we were talking about the Warriors when we were playing GTA Online the other day. Uh, Rockstar's licensed tie-in with the uh, the cult classic that inspired so many uh, brawlers. Ten, I guess it's 10, 11 years old now by Rockstar. Um, and it recently re-emerged as a PS4 game uh, downloadable from the store for, I think, about £8 or $10. And it's in their current mode of re-releasing Um, previous previous gen games which is that they come with trophies and with higher resolution graphics and so on and so forth so i'm quite tempted to give that one another go i had the ps2 disc uh, back in the day and played it some but but certainly not enough Um, it would be an interesting game to cover for the podcast there was a psp version of course and then uh, a completely separate company i can't remember which developer which publisher but there was a downloadable version of the warriors which was also a uh, progressive brawler, a beat 'em up for for Xbox 360 and possibly PS3, and uh, I played the demo and it was similar, but uh, but I just thought it was really it was really rough around the edges compared to the the Rockstar game. Um, and yeah, strange strange thing that I don't know if the license had expired or or what, but yeah, so that existed. Maybe it still exists. Next up, uh, as I say, these are all requests from our forum. Our excellent, friendly, busy, intelligent, all good things forum. com slash forum. If you want to talk video games, but in a reasonable and, uh, you know, we have, we have in-depth conversations. We have differences of opinion. But what we don't have is zealotry or unpleasantness trolling that sort of thing flame wars whatever the cool kids are calling it these days Uh, i know that forums in many cases have uh, been kind of usurped and superseded by social media but uh, ours is still very busy new people joining all the time it's where you can request tracks for this podcast it's where you can discuss the games we've got coming up in 
uh, future Cane and Rinse podcasts, or you can just hang out and talk about what you've been playing, talk about the new releases and all the sort of old fashioned video games community forum stuff that uh, folks used to do before Twitter and all that. Anyway, yes, this is a request from Adman. And uh, amazingly enough, we haven't featured this track before. We featured a version of it, a different version uh, from Akira Yamaoka. But uh, Adman says, when I remember the music from the Silent Hill games, I usually recall the otherworldly ambiance or the screeching banjos from the first game. However, theme of Laura from Silent Hill 2 is rather different. Although it has a twinge of the original game about it, it is more straight lace track that is still moody, but there's a glimmer of hope in there. Perhaps that is an intentional reference to James's story, but either way, it's still a great track. Enjoy!
the amazing theme of Laura by the peerless Akira Yamaoka, who I was lucky enough to see. I've mentioned this before, uh, live in concert when he did his Silent Hill on tour uh, gigs towards the end of 2015 uh, in a very um, packed and uh, dark and moody... Uh, I can't remember the name of the, the venue. Cavern? No, it's not the cavern. The The cave? Something like that. Anyway, it's down down the old steel in Brighton, and um, I've seen a couple of a uh, couple of good acts there. Saw Camper Van Beethoven a few years ago. One of my favourite bands in the world. And yeah, Akira Yamoka put on a good show. It was more. Uh, it was very much more the uh, the rocking end of his canon. There was very little of the sort of uh, the the ambient soundscapes and stuff. Uh, it was a full band, and uh, yeah, they rocked out for a good hour and a half, and uh, the crowd loved it. And Akira Yamoka was clearly having a fantastic time. And unsurprisingly, he's an extremely competent live musician. But yes, that's from uh, 15 years ago now. I think we're pretty much at uh, coming up to its 15th anniversary, 2001. And we talked all about Silent Hill 2 in Kane and Rince podcast issue 155. We talked about the whole series, in fact, all the way from the original Silent Hill through to the sometimes maligned latter entries, Western developed entries in the series. Uh, we ended up with uh, having some interesting correspondence with uh, the producer of those games, Tom Hewlett. And yeah, that was a, a fine time, a great series to play all the way through. I'm still bitter because my Silent Hill 4, the room experience was curtailed by a scratch disc, which meant that I ran out of time, didn't have any way to play it in time to be on that podcast. So that's the only one in the series I haven't played. But uh, who knows, maybe one day I'll complete the set. Anyway, I'm busy with Zelda at the moment, uh, among other things. Now a track from a game that we've had many requests to cover on the main Kane and Rince podcast. I say main, there's no more main than this one. This is a main podcast as well on the, our other podcast, Kane and Rince, uh, Final Fantasy VII. We don't, I don't know how much, if any, music we've featured from Final Fantasy VII before. Uh, possibly one winged, one 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 winged, one winged angel. Um, but this is uh, this is. Requested by Tadinho, our Brazilian uh, correspondent. I think he's the only one. I think we have more than one South American now on the forum and uh, on the Facebook page and all that sort of thing. But uh, Tadinho, I know, is is from Brazil. And he says one of the stronger character moments of the game and also one of the quieter ones. But it really sums up Red 13's arc. Sorrow and loneliness followed by discovery and newfound determination. I love it. And this is, uh, of course, Nobuo. Uimatsu and uh, the Great Warrior.
Red 13, I think, is remains my favourite character from Final Fantasy VII. Um, I just really like the way he looks and his sort of noble, um, reserved demeanour. I had a toy, someone bought me back then, back in 97, a, a little Red 13 figure. Uh, generally, I've broken this rule occasionally, but nearly all of my collectible stuff that isn't uh, isn't actually games. Um, I generally don't buy myself things because it's a, it's a slippery slope. I'll admit I did buy myself an Amiibo the other week when Ryu was uh, four quid odd on Amazon. But generally, I, I wait for other people to buy me uh, little trinkets and figurines and that sort of thing. Um, I've ended up amassing a fair few over the years, been given quite a few lovely presents, including most recently a little Nino Kuni Mr. Drippy from our own James. Uh, but yeah, uh, I got a red 13 back in the day. He still exists. His tail sometimes falls off and he's a bit dusty around the mane. But Emily loved him. Uh, Leon loves him. Yeah, uh, he's currently not on display, but um, maybe when we one day when we go through the Final Fantasy series, I'll bring him out again. Of course, you can now play uh, the modern version of Final Fantasy VII, which is the old version uh, converted from the PC port to the PS4. Um, I feel like that came out and then nobody really went on about it very much. But yeah, maybe um, some people out there are, are still loving it. I think it's a, it's a very interesting game to play now because it, you can can see how much it betrays its um, convoluted development through various generations of machine, various art styles. But wow, I absolutely it blew me away back at the time. Just the the amount of stuff there was to do in it, and the atmosphere, and the art design, the CG sec, uh, sequences, um, all the secrets that were squirreled away in there. I remember my girlfriend at the time spending hours and hours grinding to get a gold chocobo to get Knights of the Round um, and uh, powering up her, was it Mimic Materia, so that you could do Knights of the Round on a loop, basically to, to kill off the, the ruby and emerald weapons. I think, I think I'm saying the right things here. This is based on quite hazy memories now. Uh, but yes, I have the PS4 version. On the ch on the off chance that one day we might consider somehow tackling Final Fantasy games on Kane and Rinse, uh, a much easier game to to tackle, and a series of games that we have tackled on Kane and Rinse podcast back in issue one hundred and eighty eight. That's about a year ago or so now. Was uh, the Geometry Wars series by uh, Bizarre Creations, or specifically, certainly early on anyway, Stephen Cakebread. Uh, and this is uh, a rather more housey, housey tune from uh, from Geometry Wars Retro Evolved 2, requested by Mr. Flabio, who says, Have we had anything from the Geometry Wars games? The music is a large part of the feel of those games. They somehow don't work. They don't feel to me like they'd work without it. Well, I have to say, I do sometimes play uh, Geometry Wars without the music on, um, but not all the time and totally... Uh, enjoy getting into the zone with the music uh, when I do have it cranked up and uh, yeah I think this is this is one of my favorites as well um, bit of bit of classic uh, dance this would have this wouldn't have sounded out of place on an Amiga game um, 10 years before this uh, yeah this is from Deadline in 2008 from Geometry Wars Retro Evolved 2 on the 360.
Now back to something uh, stirring in a different way. And this certainly brings back memories of, for me, the uh, winter, I guess, of 2004 after Halo 2 had come out. Uh, I was living with uh, my girlfriend, who is still my girlfriend. She was then, she is now. Um, we recently moved in together and I associate playing Halo 2 uh, getting on Xbox Live as well, really, for the first time. Um, the first time I had broadband um, in 2004. Uh, and, yeah, sitting there playing the online of Halo 2 because uh, I probably, in the end, spent more hours playing the online than, than the offline. I think that was the, the certainly the idea that Bungie had, and uh, I suspect that that's true for many. Uh, we went back and played the single player of Halo 2 for the podcast when we covered the entire Halo series. Uh, Halo 2 was issue 181 and you'll find uh, all the sequels beyond that. Um, up to four anyway. I don't think we did five because I don't think it was out that. Yeah, out then. Yeah, it was in the run up to five. So five we Guardians we might do at some point. Um, yeah, I'm playing Halo 2 again as part of the Master Chief Collection, so Halo 2 Anniversary. Um, you know, I thought it was okay. Uh, I didn't it, I didn't have a terrible time. There were some, some cool bits that I'd forgotten and some annoying bits that I remembered, um, and it kind of balanced out as, you know, not without, you know, away from that expectation of... Um, of it actually concluding the story and that sort of thing, or, or having a satisfactory conclusion to itself, at least, uh, you know, I, that story is well told. And so I went into it just knowing that I was about to play Halos 3 and ODST and Reach and 4 after that. So it didn't, you know, it didn't really matter that it, that it ended abruptly where it did. Um, Still had some issues with with some of the level design and stuff compared to the other games, but yeah, also, you know, it still had that Halo, that Halo thing, that fun, that uh, sixty seconds of fun over and over again, or whatever it is they say in those emergent moments, yada yada yada. But let's turn this over to Mononoke, who requests this uh, this nostalgic piece of music by saying this is by far one of the most iconic and stirring pieces from a soundtrack and series filled with iconic and stirring pieces. There is a lot that can be said of Martin O'Donnell's work on the Halo series, but I think you only really need to listen to this emotionally resonant piece to recognise his talent. This piece has a few other more produced iterations in the later Halo games, but it is the original that I feel the most connected to due to the incredible amount of time I put into Halo 2 and 3. Indeed, this piece is found within both of those games' menu screens almost exclusively. It doesn't actually play much at all during the campaigns. But perhaps the fact that I have heard it so much as a result, and that it is such an affecting piece of music, has only made it all the more memorable. Yep, this is Unforgotten.
unforgotten. It has been uh, through repetition and exposure and simply because, yeah, I, I think that is a gorgeous piece of music. Uh, from originally Halo 2 <clears throat> in 2004, uh, I've seen that you can pick up the Master Chief collection. Uh, certainly it's been in sales and I think it's, it's general everyday prices now. Uh, is considerably cheaper than it was, um, and it's uh, yeah, it's an insanely good value for money. Package of games you can add uh, ODST for four pounds or something. Um, yeah, and as I did in all of those Kane and Rince podcasts about Halo, I recommend the Master Chief Collection if you've ever enjoyed a bit of Halo or a bit of Space Shooty Man's lovely stuff. Now back further in time. To uh, now this also takes me back uh, pre millennium. This was uh, out in 1998 in Japan, but didn't arrive in the UK until 99. Uh, the millennium was in the air. Um, I was recently single playing a lot of games, <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I loved the Ridge Racer series. Ridge Racer Type 4 actually was not my favorite, as, as slick and polished and refined and visually impressive as it was. For me, I felt it lost some of the kind of nonsense and the edge and the madness and the absurdity and the craziness of earlier iterations. And clearly that was deliberate. It was this very it was this very smooth thing, as is reflected in this uh, very jazzy soundtrack. Um, and I kind of, even though it's not the sort of music I would listen to outside of Ridge Racer games, the mental... Uh, techno hardcore stuff that uh, Namco had produced for the uh, for Ridge Racer, Ridge Racer Revolution, uh, Rave Racer at the arcades and um, Rage Racer, Rave Racer and Rage Racer, that's right, Rage Racer at home, Rave Racer in the arcades. Uh, some of it was just absolutely stupendous, I thought. Um, and it's I love the fact that on the PSP version, Ridge Racer, uh, it's got some of the it's got a lot of the classic tracks, both tracks and pieces of music. Um, but that said, I did quite I did quite enjoy the uh, the the chilled vibe of of R four Ridge Racer Type Four, and uh, so did our correspondent Less Than TV, who says this is definitely the sound of the summer. To this day, this is still my favourite racing game, as I've always been a fan of the more arcadey style of racers, and I don't think anyone has topped this one.
Hard Curves by Asuka Sakai and Hiroshi Okubo. Asuka Sakai, that was one of her very first projects for in video games, I believe, and for Namco. Uh, she went on to uh, do tracks for uh, quite contrasting uh, products as well as working on some of the later Ridge Racers. She also uh, did pieces for Klonoa, or Klonoa 2 rather, Soul Calibur 2, uh, and some of the uh, Katamari Damacy music as well, while uh, Hiroshi Okubo had already worked on uh, Rage Racer and Ridge Racer Revolution, and obviously um, this change in uh, this vibe for Ridge Racer Type 4 was, uh, he very much took that on board and uh, went on to work on pretty much every successive uh well, main, most of Namco's big games, really. Ridge Racers, Ace Combats, uh, Tekkens, you name it. Anyway, cool stuff. Uh, I wanted to say nice. Next up, uh, this is requested by Dingle Dongle, who says, When I was young, there was always a debate between myself and my friends on which game to play when racing games came up. Mario Kart 64 was a favourite, but I would always argue for what I consider one of the greatest battle racers of all time, Diddy Kong Racing, with games like Mario Kart, Snowboard Kids or Wave Race 64 giving their variations on the racing genre, DKR displayed that they could mesh multiple race types together, a single player mode with interesting boss fights, a great battle mode variation and an awesome soundtrack composed by David Wise to hold it all together. So many songs could be classed as the best of the set, but I've selected Pirate's Lagoon. The upbeat rhythm really emphasises those weekends where I would ignore the sun and sit inside with my friend and challenge them to be the best at what I consider the best.
Dragoon. There's a game I played to pieces. I got. I have to mention this just as I did, just as I do with certain games that I that I properly achieved on. I have to mention I got 47 gold balloons and 47 platinum balloons on Diddy Kong Racing. That's as much as you can do. 47. We don't know why, but we discussed that back in Kana Rince podcast issue 156 when we talked about Diddy Kong Racing, uh, the 1997 original, and a little also about the 2007 DS um, remake, I suppose you could call it, or version port with some interesting tweaks and changes. Anyway, uh, yeah, consensus was we'd had an enormous amount of fun uh, with Diddy Kong racing back in the day, uh, racing adventures, and it's not necessarily a game that you would play exactly as it stands now. Um, as as wonderful and nostalgic as the music is, like uh, Pirate Lagoon there, which reminds me of Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves. They were David Wise borrowed liberally from uh, from real world song Winter Wonderland, famously, and uh, Celebrate, uh, Cool and the Gang, I think. Um, but uh, even if I'd probably be more likely to play Mario Kart 8 now, despite its kind of lack of single-player features, uh, wouldn't a single-player adventure in the world of Mario Kart 8 with those with those visuals and that audio, wouldn't that have been something? Uh, not a focus for Nintendo with that game, and I think it did you know pretty well without it for them. But um, my thoughts are we've recently uh, featured a video on our YouTube channel. Check out our... Kana Rince YouTube channel. Give it a subscription. Why don't you? Uh, our lovely Darren Gargett does videos. We've also uh, got some videos from others, uh, other folks in the team on there. We've got James and Ryan and Josh, even occasionally me. Um, and uh, Darren recently played through the uh, ukulele uh, little early sort of adopter Kickstarter backer preview box demo thing. I can't remember what it's actually called, but you know, ukulele, the game that's by Platonic that is essentially a spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. Now, what it was making me think was uh, maybe after ukulele's come out, after it's sold really, really well and reviewed spectacularly and everyone's bought it and played it and loved it, I'm hoping, uh, maybe they could, Platonic could turn their attentions to a new carty adventure game. I would like that. I think a lot of people would probably like that. More nostalgia from the late 90s, actually early 2000s, technically. Well, actually, literally the early 2000s. Uh, Sonic Green Hill. I think we can uh, spot Sonic Green Hill's allegiance from back in the day. But he also, or he or she, also starts with the line, I love the Sega Dreamcast. It was the first console I bought with my own money when I was around 11 years old, back in 2000, going from door to door, posting leaflets. And after three weeks of saving up and suffering severe blisters, I finally owned the glorious white machine. As my favourite genre is JRPGs, even at 11, wow. Uh, it only seems fitting that my first post would be from the wonderful JRPG that is Grandia 2. Grandia 2 certainly isn't my favourite JRPG on the system. That would be Skies of Arcadia. But the soundtrack just resonates with me like no other soundtrack could. It just feels like Sega music. The track I picked is Fight, all capitals, two exclamation marks, version 2. 
which you can only hear if you've been ambushed in a random battle, which I regularly did on purpose just so I could listen to this track. You uh, hope you enjoy, and my word, that keyboard playing. Indeed, we just had uh, a pretty jazzy uh, track a couple of tracks ago from Ridge. This is also jazzy, but it, it heads more down the uh, the the prog rock jazz uh, sort of thing. Well, you're here, uh, as I say, fight, all caps, two exclamation marks, version two by uh, Noriyuki Iwadare from Grandia 2. <laughs>
Hiroyuki Awadare, a veteran composer going all the way back, uh, work going back to 1990 uh, with some uh, Space Invaders uh, sequels for uh, Taito, where uh, where he worked at that stage. Uh, also did the music for uh, Wings of War, or Gainaug, as it's uh, also known, or Ginog. As I some I think somebody told me it was pronounced recently. <laughs> I've forgotten already. Uh, yeah, twenty five years of habit. Uh, Parasol Stars as well. The uh, the PC Engine and and sixteen uh, bit computer sequel to Rainbow Islands, uh, but uh, also a lot of other shoot 'em ups like Steel Empire and Grey Lancer and uh, and things like that. Uh, what a cool guy and. Uh, yeah, an interesting pick from a uh, one of the the rare JRPGs that I actually managed to get to the end of Grandia Two uh, on the Dreamcast. Indeed, still never finished the first game. Maybe we'll cover that for Kane and Rince one day. But as as we've stressed many many times, JRPGs are not the easiest games for us to cover, uh, especially as I, I feel like increasingly people, including those of us on the Kane and Rince team have less and less time and patience for the the sort of genre tropes of JRPGs. And ultimately, although, you know, we try to cover stuff, we try to cover interesting games. We, we cover games that aren't necessarily considered good or great uh, in many cases. I was talking earlier about those, uh, you know, maligned uh, later entries in the Silent Hill series and so on. Um, we have to enjoy what we do. Um We've we've had some experiences where we've you know put ourselves through make it sound like it's actually something difficult. It's not really, but in the scheme of gaming podcasts, actually you know making yourself play to the end as we do uh, games that you're not enjoying. It's uh, you know it's not necessarily the way you want to spend your free time. This is not a full time job for us. Uh, although we uh, very much gratefully accept your donations via our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Canerince which uh, contributes for our, our many hours of effort and time that go into both our podcasts. But uh, sadly, it's uh, not near enough, <laughs> not, nowhere near enough for us to go full time on. So we still have to squeeze in our gaming for Kane and Rince in among the rest of our family and work lives. And uh, sometimes playing a game that you're not enjoying or having to grind away at is uh, is not, you know, it's not necessarily the, the, the way that you want to spend your free time. So JRPGs are a challenge in that regard, as are as well any big game really western rpgs as well also as i've said many times before the elder scrolls games are oft requested we've also had requests for series like east and pokemon and all of that stuff is is very challenging to undertake especially if we don't want to come across like a bunch of you know fly by night inexperts um and and then the very people who requested those podcasts will be the people who will notice when we completely misunderstand the games or get facts wrong or that sort of thing so i think um by and large although we we list every single game request we get on our massive spreadsheet which is now about 1400 titles long um, we still have to come down on the side of games that enough of us actually really want to commit to playing. I'm sure you understand, and we think it makes for the best shows. Anyway, if all that interests you, do remember, please come over to our forum at canerince.com forum, where you can talk games, as I said earlier. You can request tracks for this podcast. We're going to need some more soon. We've got probably about 10 
podcasts worth left 10 sound of plays but we always want more and uh, as i say not just your favorites although there's still plenty of obvious picks and classics we've never featured on sound of play we're also after your idiosyncratic quirky picks pieces of interest things that you think might make us laugh or or have got a fascinating story behind them things that you're passionate about or have a an anecdote to go with all of that is uh, gratefully received i mean I still think because of the music, not because of anything we do, but I think just nine tracks of video game music every week uh, in itself would be you know, perfectly valid and worth listening to. But it's nice to have something going on in between the tracks as well, I think. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Kane and Rinse. You can even request tracks for Sound of Play on there if you want. Hashtag it Sound of Play. Uh, or our Facebook page, uh, which is always growing slowly, but still growing, facebook.com slash Rinse, And that's where we disseminate news from around the video games industry. Please subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on whatever platform you get it. Give us an iTunes review or rating or review or rating on whatever platform you can. Tell your friends. And, um, yeah, keep supporting us in, in whichever way you see fit. But mainly, just keep listening and downloading every week. Thanks, as always, go to our community contributors, the people who did request tracks. We've had eight. We've got one more. As I say, do keep them coming. We close this sound of play with one from Goodshot Jansen, who says, Chaos Theory. Undoubtedly one of the finest games on the original Xbox, top-notch graphics, an engaging story and a combat knife were only the tip of the iceberg. Phenomenal co-op, local as well as online, and a radical asymmetric multiplayer rounded out one of gaming's all-time greatest values. Chaos Theory was greater than the sum of its parts, but its parts were pretty amazing on their own. What really took Chaos Theory above and beyond, however, was its score. French drum and bass composer Amon Tobin, Amon, Amon Tobin, I don't know. That's probably terrible. I apologise. I'll continue with Amon Tobin. French drum and bass composer Amon Tobin manages to arrange a chaotic, aggressive, borderline avant-garde score. The most unlikely soundscape for a game about covert intelligence gathering. But here's the thing. It works. The score pulls you in and gives you that all-important feeling of urgency, as well as the idea that you may not be completely in control of your situation. It was a hard choice, each song from this score being unique and enjoyable, so much so that I, being a record whore, own the album on vinyl. So we'll hear Ruthless Reprise uh, momentarily, but I just wanted to tell you that uh, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory was a game. Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory we covered in uh, Kane and Rince podcast issue 95. We decided to go for that one in much the same way as we did with uh, Hitman Blood Money, um, neither of which are games that I've uh, are sort of really my bag. So I wasn't on either of those podcasts, but the people on the team who wanted to make those shows uh, kind of decided to, to uh, frame the show around chaos theory in the case of uh, splinter cell and uh blood money in the case of hitman as the kind of what they felt was uh the pinnacle of the of the of the series of, of the franchise um and they used that as a platform to jump off and talk about some of the predecessors and uh and sequels as well so uh, check those out check all their podcasts out and until uh, next week when your host will be ryan Heyman. I shall say goodbye and leave you with Amon Tobin. 
Thank you.